Proverbs 12. Wise words bring many benefits, and hard work brings rewards. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. An honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. Joy fills hearts that are planning peace. No harm comes to the godly, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but fools broadcast their foolishness. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. Amen. A boss asked one of his employees, he said, do you believe in life after death? Yes, sir, replied the employee. To which the boss replied, yeah, I thought you might say that. Because yesterday, after you left to go to your brother's funeral, he stopped by to see you. You see, death is a topic that we like to talk about, but only in jokes. It makes us very uncomfortable. Unless we need to use it as an excuse for something else. But when we hear that phrase, it's a matter of life and death, it causes us to stop what we're doing and take notice. When the doctor says your heart condition is a matter of life and death, you make changes to take better care of yourself. When the weatherman says that the hurricane barreling towards the state is a matter of life and death, you take steps to protect yourself and your family. When health officials declare the flu epidemic to be a matter of life and death, you take steps to protect yourself and your family. You might even say that it'd be foolish to ignore these warnings that are a matter of life and death. For the past several weeks, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. It's offered us a message that is a matter of life and death. Yet most of us ignore the warnings. We think the warnings are for everyone else. That won't happen to me. I'm smarter than that. That won't happen to me. I'm better than that. Are we? Are we really as smart as we think we are? Life and death are the major themes and problems. Death and die occur 20 times. Life and live occur nearly 60 times in the book of Proverbs. Life and death is something that we face every day of our lives. 
Think of it this way. You have a birthday. You know that day. It's on your calendar. It's on your driver's license. But you also have a death day. It's not on your calendar. It's not on your driver's license. But it is on God's calendar. Someday in the future, you and I have an appointment with death. And I see some of you squirming in your chairs. See, death is uncomfortable to talk about, isn't it? We don't like it. Death is encroaching on our lives right now in the form of illness, in the form of aging, in the form of fear, anxiety, in the form of suffering, above all sin. You see, death encroaches on our lives when it takes our focus off of God. See, in our study of Proverbs, we realized life, real life, because real life is more than just having a pulse. And death is more than not having a pulse. But we stray into the territory of death every day. But in our study of Proverbs, we've discovered that wisdom is here to counsel us. It's here to alert us to where death lurks. Remember, death is more than not having a pulse. Death is a whole way of existing. It leads us into idolatry. It leads us away from God. Proverbs 9.18 But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Proverbs 10.21 The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 15.10 Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. In each of these verses, the way of death is the way of the fool. But Proverbs is here to show us another way. The way of wisdom. The way of real life. But real life is a vitality that only God can bring us. We can't bring it to ourselves. Only he can provide it. And he gives it gladly and freely through Jesus. And Jesus is life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he also said, since I live, you also will live. That's what God wants for every one of us. To die less and live more. 
That's the life that's in the book of Proverbs, real life that God wants us to have. Because he alone, Jesus alone, sets our conscience free. Free from the past. Free from regret. Free from dread. Free from all forms of heart death. You see, Jesus spreads life to sinners on terms of grace. Through Jesus pours life. He moves us further into life. In our text this morning, we heard Proverbs 12, 28. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. Proverbs 10.2 Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 10.16 The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Notice the words used in each of these verses. There's a path. There's a way. Which means there's also an end. With any road, there's a destination. The question for us this morning, where are we going with our lives? Because we're all on a journey. We all choose our path. But we cannot choose our consequences. And we cannot choose our destination based on the path we choose. Only in the path of righteousness will we find life. So what is righteousness? We hear a lot about it in the book. What is righteousness? What does that mean? In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy... Moses tells us about the ways that people, the weights that people used in the marketplace to measure the goods that they were selling. He would say, a full and fair weight you shall have. So if the weight says 16 ounces, it really is 16 ounces. There's no cheating the system. The weight is fair because it's true to what 16 ounces really is. It's an objective reality. Do you ever see those balance, the old balance scales? That's what it's about. It's about meeting a standard and balancing it out. The word translated fair is our word righteous. A righteous weight represents a true standard. It represents reality. So a righteous person will see a standard outside themselves. They'll see outside themselves what a human being should be and acknowledge that that standard is set by Jesus alone. A righteous person bows down before Christ and says, I want to be true, not to me, not to myself, but to you. That is righteousness. It is a standard that is set by Jesus himself. 
You see, we try to excuse ourselves from acknowledging the standard that Christ sets. We claim that we are our own person. I'm going to live how I see fit. I want to be independent. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, tell me how to live. I'm choosing my own standard. But you know what? We're hypocrites because you know what we do? We turn around and we look at the people around us. And we set our standards according to them instead of Jesus. Because we're people that want to be liked. We want to be accepted by others. So we set our standards of behavior on what will make us liked by others. What will be accepted by others. You see, we're always adjusting ourselves to a standard outside of ourselves. Even if we aren't consciously aware of, we're, of us doing it. So we're not really fighting against moral standards, are we? No, we're fighting against the moral standard set by Jesus. Jesus is the stumbling block. Scripture says so. That's where our problem lies. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the standard that we should be adjusting to. He is not an abstract ethical ideal. He's a person. Jesus is the true human being to which our behavior should be modeled after. But we reject it in the claim for independence, in our own perceived freedom. Are we really free? We think so. In 2010, there was a book that had come out. And it surveyed young adults from the ages of 18 to 23. And the author of the book relates how he asked people this question. If their moral convictions were mainly subjective feelings or really true to reality. And he found out that most had difficulty even understand what he was asking. because their moral convictions were set on the way they felt. And so to, the idea that they would be separate was inconceivable. Moral order could not be based on authority outside of their own reason, outside of their own experience. See, we're being taught in our world to see ourselves as our own moral authority. And so then what we do is we simply go through the episodes of our lives, making decisions on the lives that we're living in terms of what feels good and what doesn't. Is that really what God intended? Is that real life? Is that the real life we see in Proverbs? No, that's what Proverbs is warning us against. The world wants to teach us that there's no moral order out there to take into account. We're told that we are free, free to follow our desires, our impulses, our whims, free to do whatever we want, free, 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 or so we think. 
what we've learned through our study of Proverbs is that the pathway that leads into more and more freedom also leads into more and more death. How can any relationship we have be stable that way? If it's based on our own moral authority. Can we have a marriage that way? Can we have any friends that way? Nothing is stable in that environment. If our moral standard is always changing to our environment, always changing to our circumstances, then how do we even know who we really are? Or who we're going to be tomorrow or the next day? Because our circumstances are going to change again. You see, righteousness is about becoming truer to Jesus. It is living according to the standard of Christ. It's about becoming more and more like him. Because in him is the path to life. We call it sanctification in the church. Becoming more holy, more like Jesus following down the path of righteousness to life. Because in that path, there's no death. If we follow the path of righteousness, we experience life the way God intended. You see, the writer of Proverbs is merely restating the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. The promise was that if they obeyed God by not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have life. And they would have eternal life, life with God. They would walk with him. That promise continues to be in effect today. If you pursue righteousness, you will live. You will experience life. But like Adam and Eve, we want our way. We think we know better. So we choose our own path. One that leads to death. One that leads to bondage instead of freedom. Outside that path of righteousness, we become slaves to sin. Listen to how Paul describes this in his letter to the believers in Rome. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. You were free to do whatever you wanted. You were free to do wrong, and you felt nothing. But what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now, now that you've found the path of righteousness, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Church, we all give ourselves to something. Like the old Bob Dylan song, we got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but we're all going to serve somebody. 
We just do. We should never think that the further we move away from God, the more freedom we will have. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When we hear that whisper inside of us saying, you want to be free. So be careful. Don't give that up to God. Don't give too much of yourself to God. The instant that that thought creeps into your head, you better stop and ask yourself this question. Where did it come from? What is the hidden motive behind that thought? Because if I follow the path of that thought, where's it going to take me? Into more life or more death? There are many paths to choose from. Every day, there are numerous paths laid out before us. There are consequences. We don't have the power to stop consequences. They do come. The only question is, do we want to stay slaves of sin? Or do we want to be a slave of God? One has mercy. One has grace. One loves you so much. He sacrificed himself for you. Satan, yeah, he wants you. He doesn't care about you. Which path are you on? What is your destination? If you've had your belly full of sin, if you feel wounded, and you feel like nobody cares, your heart's broken. Because now you've experienced the bitter aftertaste of death in your life. Jesus isn't saying to you, I told you so. That's not Jesus' way. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. There is nothing degrading. There is nothing shaming in Jesus. If we go to him, he accepts us as we are. He loves us into obedience and into his righteousness. And we find that in obeying him, we find the path to life, real life, the way God intended. Look at Paul. In the New Testament writings, he came to Christ, casting off his past, moving forward as he called himself a bondservant to Jesus. Too often, we're not enslaved to God. We think we are. But we're really enslaved to ourselves. We're enslaved in our own pettiness, in our own futility. And deep inside of us is this committee of competing selves sitting around in a boardroom in our heads. We have the work self, the spouse self, the secret self. Whatever self you've created, they're all sitting around a table in your head. All of them are competing for attention, demanding that they get attention, arguing 
which just leaves you confused, divided, not knowing which way to go or who you are. That's not being wholehearted for Christ. And that's not the real life God intends. That means you're dying more than you have to. But it doesn't have to be that way. Today can be that day that's a turning point. Admit to yourself who you really are. Turn to Jesus, the friend of sinners. Become honest with him, moment by moment. Sometimes it's an hour by hour by hour, or even a minute by minute, depending on what you're going through. But if you need to have control of your life back, submit it to the one who created it. He'll help you. He'll bring you under his control. And he will teach you the path of righteousness. If you will just give yourself to him, he promises you more and more of the life you long for. A life that turns away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14.27 says, Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Proverbs 13, 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. You see, the fear of the Lord is a heart matter. It's private and it's personal. But the teaching of the wise is public and shared among others. But we need both to avoid the snares of death. We need both to keep us on that path of righteousness. The fear of the Lord is a tender heart toward Jesus. And his teaching of the wise is a gospel-centered church. Both of them together keep us refreshed. They keep us safe from the snares of death. We need to be on the lookout for two things. They're going to trip us up. First one is our own heart saying, I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that sermon preached. I've heard those sermon verses before. I know it. I know it. I don't need to hear it again. That's arrogant. Let's be honest. It's arrogant to think that the word of God could come to our ears and we won't learn anything new. That's arrogant. Because the word is living. And every time it comes into us, the Spirit is using it in a new way. That's danger number one. Number two is we, as a church body, need to stay focused on the gospel, on the good news for bad people through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. There's only one fountain of life, but there are many snares of death. The fountain is Jesus. And he flows out whenever humility and wise teaching come together. That's called revival in the church. 
We want it for everyone in this community. That's loving in ways that matter. Because when we follow the path of righteousness to life, the life of Christ spreads to others. Did you know that there's a way for people in this broken world to re-experience the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? It happens through words. Proverbs 15.4 tells us, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. You see, gentle words can also be translated healing words. Perverse words break a person's spirit. Words are powerful. But wise words soothe and heal. They're more powerful than the perverse ones. Listen to some of the words in the Gospels. Healing words. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Healing words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Comforting, healing words. They're divine words that heal the perverse words that have broken our spirits. And these are the words Christ wants more people to hear through us. It's not our mission to tell people how sinful they are. Our mission is to tell them how life-giving Jesus is. That's healing. That's being on the path of righteousness. And that's how it'll happen, only that way. If we're on the path leading to death, we're not helping anybody. Look what else happens on the path of righteousness. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. The fruit of righteous influences people. God wired us to find righteousness attractive. True, godly righteousness, it's compassionate. It's beautiful. We move toward it, and we find ourselves captured by it. We want it for ourselves. And we want to spread it out there. Christ spreads his tree of life through us. We are his strategy, our fruit, our influence in the world. It's about showing them Jesus. Not about pointing fingers and saying, you're sinful, you're wrong. No, it's about showing them Jesus and the life that he offers When we join him in caring, his power and his influence flow through us. When the gospel goes out of your mouth, the power of God is going out. Creating new life. Proverbs 24, 13 through 14 says, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet. To your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. 
If you find it, there's a future hope for you. And your hope will not be cut off. The writer of Proverbs is telling us that pleasure awakens us to how good wisdom really is. What's your favorite dessert? Mine is a warm brownie sundae with vanilla ice cream, hot fudge sauce, little whipped cream on the top with a cherry. Now I'm hungry. But as you savor dessert, your favorite dessert, go home today, make sure you get your favorite dessert. And as you savor those bites, that's what wisdom does to your soul. That's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. You want to experience real life? That's it. It's found in wisdom. It's found in Jesus. That's where you find it. And nowhere else. God's wisdom is sweet to your deepest self. It's your deepest longing. But you can only enjoy it by eating it. You can't enjoy God's wisdom by just looking at it. By just reading one verse every day or every other day. You're not going to get it that way. You have to ingest it. Digest it. Let it become a part of you. Jesus holds your future. Your hope cannot be cut off in Jesus. Enjoying Jesus on the path of righteousness is the only future that matters. Sure, we can refuse it. Absolutely, we have that freedom. No, thank you, Jesus. Got to do it my way. But careful of the warning in Proverbs. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. You see, when God is rebuking us, he's only calling us away from death. We like to think of it as punishment, but really it's protection. He's bringing us back to life and pleasure in Jesus. And he's patient. But if we stubbornly refuse and refuse and refuse, then every heartbeat is more rebellion against God, against his love, his mercy, his grace. And eventually, his patience will end. Someday, it will end. It ended towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It'll end towards individuals. It can end toward churches and communities and nations. God is pleading with every one of us. And here we are together in this moment of mercy right now. Are we going to humble ourselves? Say, yes, Jesus, me, me, I need you. Lead me down the path of righteousness. I need real life. How is God speaking to you this morning? He is ready right now to do a new work in you and me. If we're not believing and eager to jump in, what are we thinking? 
Do we think that God is obligated to wait until we feel good? Oh, not, not, not yet, Jesus, not yet. Someday, someday. How can we assume that tomorrow or even this afternoon, God's still going to hold that door open for us? If we aren't willing now, why should he give us more time? He's already waited. This is our moment with Jesus, who gives us every gracious opportunity to humble ourselves and become decisive for him to choose real life, choose righteousness, choose Jesus. Every day there are many paths before us. Only one is the path of wisdom. Only one is the path of righteousness. Only one leads to life. All the others lead to death. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say there is a way. He said, I am the way. We're all on a journey. We are all on a path. Every single one of us. Where is that path leading you? What is your destination? Are you on the path of righteousness? To life, the way God intended. On its pathway, there's no death. Where are you headed? Are you willing to surrender at all? Are you willing to become a servant to the Lord and allow him to change you as he brings you from death to life? A question every one of us needs to answer. Do you want to be changed? That's what we need. Do you want to be changed?